Welcome to Mosaic Church, and thank you for joining us here online. To prepare for today's message, we encourage you to utilize the Mosaic Cincinnati app. There, you can view the message notes, put in prayer requests, and so much more. Enjoy the message. All right, we're going to continue our summer mixtape series. This is part number eight. And so today, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 8. So 1 Samuel 8, and we can get ready to to go through some scripture together. But during this series, in case you've missed it or in case you're new, we've been going through the growth journeys of many different people in the Old Testament. And what we see is that there's always a gap. There's a gap between who we are now and who God's calling us to be and what God is calling us to do. And, And the big question that we're asking ourselves during this series is, hey, God wants to take you somewhere. Are you ready? Are you willing to go on the journey. So that's the big question, am I ready? And every time I come to church, I just pray a simple prayer, God speak to me, and help me to do what you're asking me to do, right? Because because Christianity and following Jesus is not just to show up and check it off the list kind of thing. It's a journey of obedience. And obedience is gonna be a huge theme in today's message. But here's what we see in, in this guy's life today, and I'll unveil who he is in just a minute. But there were huge roadblocks in his life that he couldn't even see. We could call them roadblocks. We could call them blind spots. We could call them pitfalls. We could call them landmines. But as he's walking through the journey of life, he just couldn't even see how much help he needed. And instead of recognizing and seeing the roadblocks and the pitfalls and the landmines in his life, he just kept on stepping on them one after the other. Now, many of you know that I was gone on vacation with my family last week. We had an amazing time, and Miss Reagan got to preach God's word. Did she do an amazing job? It's awesome. <clears throat> she may not have mentioned it, and you may not know, but Reagan is a licensed minister with the Assemblies of God, our fellowship, and, uh, and she holds those credentials, and she is a powerhouse woman of God, and we so appreciate having her here at our church. But last week on vacation, uh, we did a lot of fishing. We did a lot of hiking. Uh, if you know our family, even just a little bit, you know that, man, we love to adventure. And so we had lots of adventures. And if you want a little, just a little insight, then go on my son's YouTube channel, and you'll, you'll already see dumb videos and, and goofy stuff and my son getting bit by a snake and all this kind of stuff. And so it's, it's, it's nuts, right? But we're on vacation, and one morning, uh, we were going to go on a long hike later in the day, but, but me and Jason wanted to get up early and go fishing. So we get up early, and we go out to the canoe, and we get on the lake, and it is beautiful. But because it's the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, there's mosquitoes as big as my little dog that want to pick you up and carry you off. I mean, they're, they're everywhere, and, and, and it's, it's out of control. And so we're spraying the sunscreen, the, not sunscreen, <laughs> the, the bug spray and whatnot, getting ready, and, and I I had this bright idea, I, I need to get some on my face because, and so I take my glasses off, I put them in my pocket, I spray some bug spray and I rub it all over and I'm, I'm ready to go. And so we get in the boat and we get out fishing and just a little while into our fishing journey, we're catching fish, we're having a time, uh, it's amazing. You know, and, and just, just loving life, vacation, all is good, I've got no cell phone reception, hallelujah, thank you Jesus, right? And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I forgot to put my glasses back on. And so I reached in my pocket only to not find my glasses. 
Now, I had kind of a loose jacket on, and as you know, a canoe, I mean, the edges of the canoe are right here next to my tail. And, and so, obviously, the glasses had fallen out, and I made a donation to the lake, right? And uh, yes, it was a very clear lake, but there was no way I knew where they fell or that I was going to be able to, to fish them out. So I had no idea where they were. And so at that moment, I'm kicking myself for not having an extra pair of glasses in the car because we still have three or four days of vacation left. And, and I, my particular eye condition is called astigmatism. And so when I don't have my glasses on, I'm constantly trying to focus because I just can't see that well. And, and that, that focusing causes me to get really bad headaches and it's just annoying. And, and thankfully, I wasn't having to read a lot over the next few days. And so I was just constantly trying to tell myself, relax, don't try to focus. Um, but I still got headaches, right? And we would drive, and we were on some country roads, some gravel roads. There had been a lot of rain. There was a lot of potholes, and you get the picture. And, and we're driving, and my wife, Jolie, she's like, don't drive so fast. There's potholes everywhere. And, and you know, but I'm not listening, and I'm, I'm, I got this. I got this. I'll miss all the potholes, right? Well, without my glasses on, especially when it got darker, I, I could not see half as well as I could when I had my glasses and I couldn't see, even in the day, I couldn't see the potholes as well that I would have seen clearly had I had my glasses on. And even though I could get by, and, and it's not like I was going to hit somebody or something, you know, I, I could see well enough. And by the way, I'm still passing my, my driver's test without my glasses. I got to squint really hard. And I'm pretty sure that when I came to Ohio and took that little test, that was the last time I'll pass. But... <clears throat> But even though I can see pretty good, like I don't need my glasses to play sports and, 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 and I can get by if I have to without them, right? Just okay vision isn't good enough. It's not good enough. You and I need clear vision. You need to know and see the roadblocks, the potholes, the pitfalls and the landmines in your life. You do. If you can't see clearly, and if you're not aware, and you don't listen to those voices in your life, like my wife's trying to tell me, there's, there's a hole, there's, there, and I'm just like, I got this. If you don't wake up and listen and see, and realize that you can't see them all, and you need help, then you're in for a lot of hurt. All of our stories up until now in this series have had relatively happy endings, right? Like last week, Rahab, she goes from prostitute to uh, in the family. How cool is that? But I want to give you a spoiler alert right off the bat today. Today is not a happy ending. The Israelites' history, as you know, was plagued with ups and downs, deliverances by God, and betrayals of God. They wanted to be like all the other nations. That, that seemed to be an underlying thread throughout all the stories. And, but at this point in 1 Samuel chapter 8, they requested a king. Why in the world would they do that? Up until this time, they had been led by God-appointed judges and prophets. God had given them up until this time, and this is something he, he was always faithful with then, and guess what? He's still always faithful in your life now with this one thing. 
He had always given them clear vision. How had he done that? Through prophets and through judges and through people that he had appointed to lead. And it was just a direct appointment. It didn't necessarily have to do with a bloodline. It was, it was God would see somebody that was faithful or that maybe he was calling to be faithful and he would appoint them and they would speak for him. And, and, and it was, God did what God wanted to do. But the Israelites thought that the way the rest of the world at that time was doing it would be better. They were jealous. They wanted to be like other nations, and so they said, we want a king. And so they asked Samuel, the prophet, remember, the God-ordained visionary for the country at that time, Samuel, who had led them so well. They were like, Samuel, we want a king. We want a king. So in 1 Samuel 8, 6, it says that Samuel was displeased with their request. You probably would be too. It'd be like somebody coming up to you if you're the leader and saying, hey, we don't like you. We want somebody else. And guess what? We need, one, we need you to find your own replacement. Right? Samuel was displeased with their request and went to the Lord for guidance. And the Lord probably surprised Samuel with his response. Do everything they say to you, the Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Wow. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Which would really point to our lives and, and, you know, ask yourself, who do you want to be your king? Who do you want to be in charge of your life? Do you want to be in charge? Do you want, you think, you know, if, man, if just a certain person got to be president, man, everything would be different and everything would be fixed? Yeah, right. If, oh, if, if, man, if I just got that boss, man, my boss is horrible. I, I just want that. It, it'll fix everything. You know, and there's all the kind of areas in our life where we just think, man, I, I, if, if only I could have someone else. Well, God looks at the Israelites and he realizes they don't want him anymore. And so God gives Samuel guidance as to who the new king will be which just blows my mind. It just shows the grace of God. They didn't want a king. They asked for a king. God gives them one anyway. Gives them one anyway. Enter our character for today, King Saul, the first king in Israel. 1 Samuel 9.1 tells us a little bit about him. It says there was a wealthy, influential man named Kish from the tribe of Benjamin. He was the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, Zeror son of Bechorath, son of Aphi, and of the tribe of Benjamin. His son was Saul, the most handsome man in Israel, head and shoulders taller than anyone else in the land. So we just get this little glimpse. Wealthy, influential family. He was tall. He was handsome. He was the most handsome. So probably... When everybody thought who, who'd be a good king, well, why not get the really good-looking tall guy? Man, when I was growing up, I was like, why is it always the good-looking tall guy? What about the short guys? Come on, right? Saul started off looking the part, but 
he fell apart super fast. Why? Because he was unaware of his blind spots, roadblocks, pitfalls in his life. And so, quick overview. Samuel, the prophet, the one who they wanted to replace, right? That he anointed Saul and gave him some instructions, and Saul did what Samuel asked. And so in 1 Samuel 10, 9, look at what it says. As Saul turned and started to leave, this was right after Samuel anoints him, God gave him a new heart, and all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. Man, God is grace gracious, because even though this isn't necessarily what God wanted, this is what the people wanted, and, and he's gonna, he, he takes this guy and he gives him a new heart. And then Samuel prophesies. He's used powerfully by, by God's power. And if that weren't enough, he's got a new heart. He's being used by God. Guess what? When he went home, he wouldn't even tell his uncle what happened. I don't know if Saul was scared or, or ashamed or, or, or whatnot, but he wouldn't even tell his uncle what happened. And then when, when, it, when the day came to publicly, you know, tell Israel, hey, you got this new king and his name is Saul, guess what Saul was doing? He was hiding in the baggage, scripture says. And they had to go get him and drag him out. So he was anointed as king. Immediately he received some resistance because some people just didn't want to respect him. But pretty, pretty quickly he had a great victory in battle and, and everybody got on board and as soon as it looked like everything was going to be okay, things kind of fell apart from then on. And so the issue, when we look through just some parts of his story today, the issue is never whether you're going to face roadblocks or pitfalls or landmines. The issue is, what are you going to do about them? What are you going to do about them? And so let's look at a few things that blocked Saul from God's best in his life. And we're going to fly today because... It's already almost 11.30. I don't know how that happened. But I'm going to try to get you out before one or two. And so just buckle up. So some things that blocked Saul from God's best. First was fear. Fear. He began his reign by hiding among the, the baggage, the equipment. Right? Hiding. After he had prophesied, after he had been used by God, after God had given him a new heart, and he's still hiding because he had this roadblock in his life called fear. And not only that, fast forward a little bit, Goliath comes on the scene and challenges Israel. Guess who doesn't step up to fight Goliath? Saul. He's sitting there waiting, waiting for somebody else to do it. Fear had a grip on his life. Does fear have a grip on your life? Listen, your fear does not change the fact that God wants to use you. You see that in the life of Saul. God wanted to use him. But your fear does limit the amount that God can use you. So fear doesn't change the fact that God wants to use you, but it limits the amount that God can use you. Here's another thing. You might say, well, oh, Saul must have just been really shy. He's hiding in the baggage. He doesn't, maybe he doesn't want the spotlight. Maybe. But listen, being shy... And being humble are two completely different things. And being humble makes you usable by God. And humble, uh, somebody that's humble says, God, I'm going to submit to what you want me to do because I understand my place in the world. Being shy can sideline you from God's plans. And sometimes we, we use the word shy as kind of a way of saying full of fear. 
It's, it's like a kind way of saying I'm full of fear. Now, if you are just naturally a shy person, I'm not saying that, man, all of you being shy is, is just you being fearful. And No, there are, there are some parts of it, some of us that are just a little, we bend more that way. But we've got to take every part of ourselves when God says go and when God says do and when God says speak and humble that to his voice, right? Obviously, Saul was not ready to humble himself to the voice of God and step up and be the man and the leader that God wanted him to be. Listen, God wants to use you. And so let courage rise up in you that, and this, this, this kind of gut feeling that he can use you. Gotta put the fear down. The second thing that we see in, in, in Saul's life is impatience. How many impatient people in the, in the room? Some of the spouse's elbows are already going. I see fingers flying. And you know, and it's like impatient people. Hey, I'm one of those. <laughs> I just asked my wife. And so Saul, he refused to wait for Samuel because Samuel was still speaking into his life and speaking to him, to him about what God is, was saying. And so he refused to wait for Samuel and presumed upon God by taking matters into his own hands and he offered sacrifices that was to present that was to be presented only by a priest or a man of God. And so he jumped the gun. He was impatient. He got out of his lane. Listen, we all have a lane. We all have a lane. And many times in my leadership journey, I got to keep remembering and saying to myself, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. Right? Don't take responsibility for what is God's, but I've got to take responsibility for what's mine. I can't take responsibility for someone, some, some things that people I'm leading should be doing. No, I've got to stay in my lane. I need to be the leader. I need to be the dad. I need to be the husband. I need to do what God has called me to do, right? And I can't get impatient in the process trying to force the matter. Some of you need to Deal with your impatience. Me too. Another roadblock that we see in, in Saul's life was denial. Denial. After Samuel told Saul that because Saul was being disobedient, Saul was doing things that he shouldn't be doing, he was offering sacrifices he shouldn't offer. So after Saul, Samuel told Saul that he'd been rejected as king, Saul continued as though all was well. He just decided to act like nothing happened and just keep going. After all, he still had the title king. Have you ever been there? Something goes wrong in life and, and you're like, oh well, I'll just keep going. I'll just keep going. And instead of slowing down and dealing with it, whether it's a, a, a break in a relationship or, a, or a, a character flaw that's really holding you back at work or in, in relationships, instead of stopping and dealing with it, you just turn the page and act like nothing ever happened. You're in denial. Listen, when God wants to deal with you about something, submit to it. You've got to submit to it. I've got to submit to it. Continuing as though all is well just continues your journey towards disaster. And so denial, it's a huge roadblock. A lot of us struggle with that. What about this next one? Impulsiveness. Impulsiveness. Saul was reckless and he rashly made an oath that almost cost him the life of his son, Jonathan. 
Can you imagine this? He, he made a promise. He made an oath that, that man, no one's going to eat anything until a certain time. And guess what? Jonathan licked some honey off the end of his stick, and, and, and he was found guilty. Luckily, the people rose up and didn't let Saul kill his own son because of a dumb, stupid promise that he made. He was impulsive. Listen, too many leaders, though well-meaning, make dumb commitments and promises without weighing the cost. I've done this a lot. (laughs) Been there, done it. After a while, when we do that as people and as leaders and as followers of Christ, when we, when we over-promise and under-deliver, guess what? We lose credibility and our words become worthless. This happens in marriage relationships. Oh, oh I promise, honey, I'm, I'm gonna do X, Y, and Z. And then over and over and over, we, we don't follow through. Oh, we make promises that we can never keep or we're really not gonna follow through. And we do this in parenting when we tell our, our kids, hey, don't do that or else. And then we can't even do what we told them we were gonna do, Right? Impulsiveness. Another roadblock, deceit. We see this in the life of Saul. He used his own daughter, Michael, as a bribe by offering her in marriage to David if he would fight the Philistines. But guess what? Saul's real hope was that David would die in battle. He wanted David to die in battle. And so he used deceit to get what he wanted. He manipulated the situation. Listen, when you find yourself manipulating and lying to get what you want, watch out. It's not gonna end well. And these are all things that we're talking about that Saul did over and over and over and just expected everything to just go fine. And that's what we do, don't we? Because we take the spiritual glasses off of God's word that he's given us and we just act like the pothole's not there. Can't see my notes. Here we go. Jealousy. Saul became enraged at an unhealthy level. Not just a little bit of jealousy that he then like dealt with and put at the feet of of God and just walked away from. No, he became enraged when the people compared him to David. And from then on, after people were chanting, you know, cheers for David instead of Saul, Saul became just kept this jealous eye on David and considered this man who had been his friend and had helped him so much, he considered him an enemy. He was jealous. Listen, you might not think that other people could see your jealousy. You might think that it doesn't affect your leadership. Think again. It's poison. It taints everything when you're jealous and you're constantly comparing and competing with others. Another pitfall we see in the life of Saul was anger. Dude was angry. And more than once, he attempted to kill David with a spear as David played the harp for him. Listen, anger will cause you to do crazy things that are contrary to God's plan for your life. It says in Ephesians 4, 26, in your anger, do not sin. We all get angry sometimes. But man, it's a huge roadblock when you can't control it and your anger just runs wild in your life. Lastly, what I think is probably the biggest pitfall in Saul's life is disobedience. He didn't make obeying God an absolute in his life. He made up his own version of obedience and he just didn't carry out the Lord's commands. And sometimes he would carry out the Lord's commands in a way that he kind of twisted a little bit and he said, well, I, I carried out most of them, 
Have you ever been there in your life where you're like, well, God, I did most of it. God, are you really gonna be, you know, uh, frustrated with me about this one little area, right? Listen, you may not be derailing your life like Saul, but there's a good chance that you're dealing with at least one of those roadblocks that we just mentioned today, right? So Saul continued to ignore all the roadblocks over and over, and in 1 Samuel 15, 10 through 11, the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me, and he has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night long. Now, who cried out to God all night long? It wasn't Saul. It was Samuel, right? How could it have been different? Just think about it. If when Saul knew that God was unpleased with him, if Saul cared about his own life as much as Samuel did. And see, this is, this is the trouble that many of us are going through is someone else cares about our spiritual well-being and our relationship with Jesus more than we do about ourselves. You gotta own it. It's your life. He's given you one life to live. You gotta own your own relationship with Jesus. Don't let others care more about your well-being than you do. If you've got a grandma or a mom or a dad that's on their knees all night praying for you and you know it, don't ignore the call of God on your life. Some of you know that you've got a praying family member that is crying out to God for your salvation and you're just saying, oh, precious, oh, bless their heart. And they're caring way more about how you're doing with Jesus than you are. Don't be like Saul. Don't let others care more about your well-being than you do. Don't refuse to see the roadblocks in your life before it's too late, or until it's too late. Like I said, Saul makes up his own version of obedience just enough to please his own conscience, and it didn't work. Listen, your conscience and my conscience is not the measuring stick that God uses to approve or disapprove of our life. 1 Samuel 15, 22, after Saul had given all these excuses and said, well, at least I did this and at least I did that, God. What did God say? He said, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Samuel was trying to shake Saul out of his, his denial and say, you just need to listen. You just need to obey. You just need to submit and let God really be the Lord of your life. Listen, we don't need to put God's commands through our own filter. We don't. We just need to do what he says. This is why the cross of Jesus Christ is such a miracle, because it's you know, when he, Jesus died for you and he, and he offered the forgiveness of your sins, it has nothing to do with your performance. It doesn't. You were saved by grace through faith alone. It's not of ourselves. We can't boast about it. But even though Jesus did all that for us, guess what? Obedience is still the standard. Jesus is still calling us to die to ourselves and follow him. And so obedience is still the standard. Saul, he might have had the title king, but only one person should have had the title Lord in his life, and the Lord wasn't his Lord. He wasn't fully obeying. 
He forgot that God deserved total obedience. And so the majority of Saul's roadblocks and his blind spots had to do with weak character. And unfortunately, he was always more concerned with keeping up, keeping up appearances than cleaning up his character. Listen, insecurity will wreck your character. So don't be like Saul. You, we have to remember that God is more concerned with our character than our comfort. Amen. You've heard me say that many times, and I'll say it again. On the flip side, we see David, right? Saul's story, it didn't end well, but David comes along, and it's almost like a contrast of like how not to do things and then how to have a soft heart towards God. Let's fly through this. Things that did not block David from God's best. And some of you need to hear these words today. The first thing that didn't block him from following Christ was his family. He didn't let who his family was or where he came from limit him. You see, David's limitations actually did start at home. He wasn't, he wasn't even picked to, to come to the pick the next king party where, where Samuel came and he was going to pick the next king because Saul was off the rails. And, and guess what? David wasn't even invited. And so he could have let his family limit him because they didn't believe in him. But he didn't let that limit him. According to 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 David's family, David was overlooked and underappreciated. The second thing that David didn't let stop him was his leader. Guess who David's leader was? Saul. Saul was continually trying to inhibit David's leadership and effectiveness. Saul had no faith in David, even when David went to fight Goliath. Sometimes he called David his friend, and more times he called him his enemy and tried to kill him. Have you ever worked or, or had a leader or maybe even a parent in your life that you're, you're like, I don't know, I don't even know if they like me, right? It's like the, this leader is out to get me. And before long, we're blaming everything in our life on that leader. Guess who David did not blame? He did not blame his leader and he didn't let his leader limit how God was gonna use him. The third thing that, that did not block David was his background Saul came from a good and powerful family. We read earlier, they were wealthy, they were influential. He was tall, he was handsome, he was good looking, all that stuff. David, on the other hand, was from a family of poor shepherds. But he didn't let his background keep him. He didn't let his background be a roadblock to how God wanted to use him. Number four, his youthfulness and inexperience. So much of us say, I just don't have what it takes, I don't know enough, I, 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 how could God use me? Maybe that's what Saul was thinking when he was hiding in the baggage. But David didn't let that kind of thinking come into his mind and his heart. When David was anointed by Samuel, he was merely a boy, a teenager. And he had no experience leading anyone or anything but sheep. But what did he do? He went with what he knew. He didn't wear the king's armor. He used his sling and the, and the rocks. He, he, he used what he knew. He went with what he had, and he was faithful. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the roadblocks in your life? Number one, first thing that you need to do is you need to deal with your personal roadblocks now. Don't wait. Don't wait to get right with God. Don't wait to lay the denial and the fear and the insecurity and the, the impatience and all the junk at God's feet. First Samuel 16, 7. Samuel said, 
Don't judge by his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see what was happening here is, is, is Samuel didn't understand why God hadn't picked one of David's older brothers. But God was saying, no, I've rejected this older brother because it's not about what they look like on the outside. It's about the heart. And so what do we learn? We know that we need to deal with our heart. God wants you to look deep down inside yourself and say, what do I need to lay at Jesus' feet? That list of things that I gave you today, what do we need to lay at his feet and get our heart right, right? We gotta get the insecurity and the jealousy and the anger and the fear out. And we need to start planting the seeds of the fruit of the spirit in your life. We need to practice the simple discipline of obedience every day. Read books. Listen to good talks, serve, have the right relationships, rewire your heart and your mind. Put your spiritual glasses on so that you can see the roadblocks in your life through the lens of scripture. Number two, we're bringing this plane in for a landing. Kathy, you can come. Be ready when the opportunity shows up. 1 Samuel 16, 18 says, one of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war, and he has good judgment. He is also a fine-looking young man. Don't you love that? And the Lord is with him. Notice it doesn't say he's the most handsome person in the whole country, but he's fine-looking. Come on now. Listen, this was before the opportunity that, that David had to confront Goliath. This was before that. So in the context of the story, all these things are being said about David before he showed up to kill Goliath. What do I want you to know with this? Is that David had established his reputation and his character at a young age. Students, young person, young adult, young professional, you don't have to wait until you get older to establish a good reputation as someone who is faithful, who is strong, who can be a powerful tool in God's hands. He was multi-skilled. He was a man of character. He was close to God. He was good-looking. That was a bonus, right? You may not be able to control the good-looking part, but you can control the rest, amen? So be ready. Be ready when opportunity shows up. And then number three, as we close today, remember, you have to do your part in removing your roadblocks. 1 Samuel 17, 34. And this is when they were pushing back, like, David, how can you kill Goliath? How can you do all these things that God wants you to do? And David didn't see them as roadblocks. He said this. He said, David persists. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too. For he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and bear will rescue me from this Philistine. David played his part in the equation. You see, the first thing that we have to do is we have to yield. You see, David recognized that it was the Lord who empowered him and made him victorious. He was faithful, whether he was in the shepherd's field or the battlefield. 
And he did whatever was put in his hand. See, that's what, that's us yielding. That wherever you are, if you're working in the nursery, if you're working in a school, or if you're, if you're doing what you feel like is a thankless job, you're yielding to God and where he's planted you in life and you're gonna bloom where you've planted. And you know that as God helps you to have victory in that situation and in, that, in, in your family and, and right where you are, that because God is helping you there and he's helping you to have victory there, then when God puts bigger things in your life, you're gonna be ready, right? But you gotta do your part. When those, when those uh, things come that wanna rob you of God's best for your life, you gotta be ready to fight, just like David did. But when people were not watching, David was faithful. That's the biggest way that you can yield to the Holy Spirit in your life, that when no one's watching, you're saying yes to Jesus. You're saying yes to the Holy Spirit and how he wants to lead you in your life, and you're doing the right thing. The last thing you have to do is you have to act. How do you, how do, you do your part in removing the roadblocks in your life? You've got to act. When the time comes to step up and do what God has called you to do, don't shrink back. Step up like David did. He had built confidence by being faithful in the little things so that when the big moment arrived, he was ready. He, he had already spent plenty of time preparing in private places, and now he was ready to serve God. Amen? Amen. Close your eyes and bow your heads with me today. God, I thank you for your people, and God, we need clear vision. God, to see the roadblocks that are in our life, to see the things that are tripping us up, And God, we know that the number one roadblock in our life is when we don't have a relationship with you. And so I pray for every person in this room today and where they're at with you. And I just pray that that you help us to take a step towards you. Some of you might be here today and and you say, Joe, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with God, but I want to begin one today. I've seen just through the worship and and something in the message just, just, just confirmed in your heart that Jesus is real that he loves you, that he died on the cross for you, and he wants to have a relationship with you, that he rose again on the third day, and you want to give your life to him. You don't want to stay in this old life of disobedience anymore. You want to lay your life at the feet of Jesus. If that's you today, and you'd like to give your heart and your life to Christ, I just want to encourage you to raise your hand. Anybody here today that says, hey, I want to, I want to be like David and give my heart and my life to Christ. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. I encourage you right there at your seat to pray a prayer and accept Christ into your life. It could sound like this. You could say, Jesus, here's my life. I believe that you died for me on the cross and that you rose again on the third day. Help me to follow your word and do what you say. Help me, Lord. I believe that it's only through you that I can be saved and spend eternity with you in heaven. And so I yield to you, and I put my faith and my trust in you, and I trust the grace that you've given to me in, in, in my life by, by dying for me on the cross. Amen. Can we give a hand for those that accepted Christ today? Amen. Amen. We've got a welcome center in the lobby, and we've got a gift bag. We've got a Bible and, and some, some resources for you if you gave your heart and life to Christ. I want to encourage you to grab that on your way out. But listen, before we leave, I want us to stand, and we're going to pray a closing prayer. And hey, all these roadblocks, I don't know about you, but I've got some in my life that I need to keep laying down. 
And so let's pray and ask God to help us to, to see and to detour and to step over and to not yield to all these things that want to keep us from God's best, that we can only be yielding to him. Amen? God, help us today. Help us to not be arrogant and, and, and just blind like Saul was. And God, I'll be the first to admit that I've been like Saul before, that maybe even this week at times I was like Saul and I refused to see things and I wanted to just be comfortable in my blind spots. But God, I pray that your Holy Spirit shines a spotlight on our hearts today and helps us to see all the things that you need us to see so that we can begin to lay them down, so that we begin to to go around these roadblocks and to keep going in the path that you have for us. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us for today's message. We look forward to having you back next week.